Welcome to all of you joining us in the fellowship hall and in the broadcast today as we worship together. We're going to be using our Bibles a lot today, so I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward and hand any out if you don't have a Bible with you today. Today is All Saints Day when we celebrate those who have gone before us in faith. And in the Apostles' Creed, we confess that we believe in the communion of saints. And Revelation 7 shows us a beautiful picture of that. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now there are two things that bring joy in that picture. God's love through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and God's perfect power and holiness that's worthy of praise. Because if God wasn't perfectly holy, perfectly good, being with him wouldn't cause so much joy. But because he is perfectly worthy of their worship, it is a great joy to know that they belong in his family. And all things that once interfered with that relationship are gone now because of Christ. And that's our future. Knowing that we are perfectly loved by the one who is perfectly powerful and good. That's our future. But we can also know that love in the present. See, the communion of saints isn't just a future reality. It's what's happening right here, right now, too. And the same two things bring us joy today. God's perfect power and his perfect love for us. And we need to know both. Because believing God is powerful and perfect without knowing his love for us can lead us not into joy but into despair. That's what happened to Martin Luther as a young man, he was terrified of God. He knew that God was holy and powerful, but he had no idea why God would want him. And it wasn't until Luther discovered that God loved him that everything changed for him. And the fact that Jesus' saving action meant that God loved the world was unfortunately an easy thing to miss in Luther's day. Because at that time, only priests were able to read the Bible, and those were in Latin. And worship was also led in Latin, which most people didn't understand. And that might seem strange to us, but at the time, they saw the priest's role as intercessors, as go-betweens, between the people and God. And the priest felt that what they were doing would bring grace for the people, that they could just come and receive it like a holy tune-up, even if they never understood a word of it. You can see how people might miss that God actually personally loved each one of them and wanted to be in relationship with them. But Luther discovered in the word that we don't need anyone to be a human intermediary between us and God because Jesus died and rose to be our access to God and the Holy Spirit connects our spirit to his. Luther discovered in the word that now because of Jesus, all of us are called to be a holy priesthood made up of all believers and each one of us are called to approach the throne of grace with confidence because of Jesus Christ. Our trail marker sign today is the merge sign because no matter where we come from in life today, we are drawn to be part of the same holy purpose, to know the Lord and his power and his love and help others to know him too. So since you're called to be part of this priesthood, I think it's important to equip you to know where this concept came from, what priesthood originally was for, and what it means for you today. And the passages we're going to be going through in the Bible are listed in your study guide today with the pages from the Quest Bible. That can help you as you follow along. 
So to start, we're going to begin at the very beginning. Turn to Genesis 3. It's on page 6. We're starting with this passage because it shows the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us as his people. In Genesis 3, verses 8 through 9, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? This shows us that we were created to live in God's love and in his perfect holiness. It's only after the fall into sin that that needed to change. Because God is perfect light. And when the light is turned on, darkness can't stay. And in sin, we've become a mix of light and darkness. So God sent in motion a plan to save us from our sin, to be brought back into full relationship with himself. So now turn to Exodus 20 for the next part of the story. That's on page 108 in your Bible. To bring people back into relationship with him, God first had to remind them and us who he is, that he alone is God. And theologian A.W. Tozer says of this time, For 400 years Israel had dwelt in Egypt, surrounded by the crassest idolatry. By the hand of Moses they were led out at last and started for the land of the promise. But the very idea of holiness had been lost to them. To correct this, God began at the bottom. He localized himself in a cloud and fire, and later when the tabernacle had been built, he dwelt in the fiery manifestation of the holiest of holies. By innumerable distinctions, God taught Israel the difference between holy and unholy, and by these means, Israel learned that God is holy. It was this that he was teaching them, not the holiness of things or places. As A.W. Tozer So saving his people from slavery, God showed us his power and his love, and God wanted his people to know his holiness, to trust and respect his power and be led back into relationship with him. But people didn't have a clue how to be in relationship with the holy God. So to start this process, he used a human intermediary, a man named Moses, who both loved and honored him. This is in Exodus 20, 18 through 21. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. See, the people had seen God's holiness and power, and that respect brought them to a point of worship, but at a distance. But God didn't want his people at a distance. So to bring them closer, so there were more points of contact than just Moses, he set up a system of priests to bring the people's offerings, to acknowledge their sin and God's holiness in a way that allowed him to release blessing on the people for their obedience and their trust. But only those from the tribe of Levi could do this work. And once a year, only one of them, the high priest, entered the holiest of holies to offer a sacrifice of atonement for the people. Holiness training taught the people that God alone is God and worthy of our worship and respect. And it began that relationship of trust. But God also wanted us to find joy in personally being connected to him, like in the Garden of Eden. Turn to Jeremiah 31. That's on page 1153. Because we can see hints of God's desire to have that immediate relationship with all people, all through the prophets. In Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, it says, 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. He is the God of holiness and the God of power. He can't just ignore the sin that stands between us, but he's also the God of love who longs to draw us back to him. Which brings us to Jesus, God's solution. We turn now to the New Testament, to Hebrews 7, page 1770. The author of Hebrews wanted to explain why Jesus came. So he used an image of a new kind of priesthood to draw people back to God. This is in Hebrews 7, verses 11 through 12 to start out. And it says, If perfection could have been attained through Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. Now, Melchizedek was a figure in Genesis 14. It was long before the Levite tribe existed. And he was a prophet, a king, and a priest. And Jesus was born into the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. But as the son of God, he is a priest like Melchizedek because it was established before Levites existed. He was established as a prophet, priest, and king. Hebrews continues in verse 23 through 27 in chapter 7. It says, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Jesus came to be both the perfect intercessor for us, our high priest, and the perfect sacrifice that covers our sins forever to restore us to God. So if Jesus is the eternal high priest who connects us to God... Why do we need to be a priesthood? Isn't that unnecessary? Well, the high priest was the one who went into the holiest of holies, the presence of God, to intercede for the people's atonement of sin. But the priests in the temple were the ones who met with the common people every day and helped them to connect to God through daily life. And that's the kind of calling that we've been given. So now we turn to the Gospels, the words of Jesus. We turn to John 8. It's on page 1566 we can see a series of how Jesus shows us this in the Gospels. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus himself is the light. He is the one who brings salvation. So got that? Okay. Now we turn to John 9. If you'll turn the page to 1569 where Jesus says something similar, but he adds a little something. In verses 4 through 5 in John 9, Jesus says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. 
While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus tells us we must do the works of him who sent Jesus. So now turn to Matthew 5. It's on page 1417 where Jesus takes this a step further. Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Why did Jesus say that? What will change when Jesus is no longer physically in the world in the same way? And he shows us in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The priestly task was and is to help connect people to a holy God by reflecting his light, the light of what he's done for all of us. And when we shine it, other people can glorify God, who is the source of that grace. And these words are a part of our baptismal service because it's a calling for every Christian to live in that new kind of daily priesthood, helping others connect to Jesus. A.W. Tozer says, The great day when Christ appeared, the Old Testament schooling was over. When Christ died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. The holiest of holies was open for everyone who would enter in faith. And on the day that Jesus ascended to heaven, he promised his Holy Spirit to us. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was released into the world to live in the heart of every believer, to ignite the world, that spark of holiness and his immediate love for each one of us. And that was only made possible because of what Jesus did to pay the price for our sin, that he made each one of us a life that can house his eternal Holy Spirit wherever we go. And instead of one high priest once a year being able to enter into the holiest of holies, we are now invited in every moment in prayer to offer into God's, enter into God's presence. Our last verse that we're going to be looking up today is in 1 Peter 2. It's verses 9 through 10. It's on page 1791 of your Quest Bible. And it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So how do we live into that kind of calling? Well, to explain this, Martin Luther developed a model called the two kingdoms using two different circles. In the circle A, you're going to see on the screen in a moment, A is this world, and we live in that circle A. B is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, breaking into the world through Jesus' death and resurrection. So where we live now is in the overlap of this world and the kingdom of God. We are both citizens of the world and the kingdom of God. And the world is temporary. One day it'll pass away. But our future is in that kingdom that will never end. So the communion of saints is our future, but it's also our present. Because Jesus has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have one eternal high priest, a savior and a king. But in this world, we're also ambassadors of that eternal kingdom. We're a priesthood of all believers. So what does that look like today? Well, it doesn't mean that you should all be pastors. It's a calling that God has given you to shine his light in your everyday life. And I'd like to tell a story of an example of this. In Guidepost magazine recently, there was a story of a seminary president who was at an event. He was talking to new people and asking, as people often do, so what do you do? 
Usually it's a pretty uneventful question, but that night a woman's answer really got his attention because she said, I bring joy and hope into the lives of the discouraged. And he did a double take and said, really? Where do you work? <laughs> and it turned out she worked at a gas station. And every day when someone came in who was sad or struggling, she'd find ways to build them up, make them smile, give them hope, give them a blessing, whatever kind they would receive. She was working in the priesthood of all believers right where she was. And that seminary president walked away thinking, wow, what do I do? I go to meetings, I make policy. How can I see what I do every day the way that she sees what she does? With the eyes of eternal purpose, with the eyes of God's holy love for every human being. A.W. Tozer says of this, it's not what a person does that determines whether one's work is sacred or secular. It's why one does it. The motive is everything. Let one sanctify the Lord God in one's heart, and for such a one, living itself will be a priestly ministration. Martin Luther saw that this made every aspect of human life a holy calling to infuse the world with God's presence, and he saw that he could do this as a father, or as a teacher, just as well as he could as a monk or a priest. Jesus is the light, and he alone is Savior. But as the priesthood of all believers, we reflect that light. And in his love, all of us from all walks of life are drawn into a purpose merged with his, to know life in his love and draw others into it as well. Today is All Saints Day when we honor those who have gone before us. So when we ask, how can I live as this priesthood of all believers? How can I help others know Jesus? It might help to remember how others helped you know God's love. Who will light a candle remembering you and the hope that you gave them in Christ? What do you do? How does your life serve God's holy purpose? Ask the Lord to show you your calling in this season of life. And if you find it too hard to start with that question, ask, how can I know more of God's worthiness of my love, of my life? Do I know God's love for me? Because it's in those things, in knowing his power and his amazing love for you, that that marvelous light begins to shine through us. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the marvelous light of your love that shines in our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would continue to fan the flame and to grow it in us so that we can shine your light to the world. Lord, we thank you for those who have gone before us, who have shined the way for us. Lord, we pray that our lives would continue to shine, that you may be glorified now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.